and welcome back to Infinity Circuit Radio. My name is Alex. And I'm Wes. Alright guys, today we are finally talking Harlequins, the uh, current boogeyman of the 40k meta. Um, this was a faction that we knew was going to be really good, didn't really expect them to be this good. Uh, we don't always have the final details going into release day, but man, Harlequins are amazing right now. Take the Void Weavers out of it and um, they are, they nailed it in terms of Harlequins. Yeah, I, I think that sums up pretty pretty well actually. For, for me, I think the Harlequins are, yeah, pretty pretty much bang on. I think uh, the the Void Weavers are a little bit powerful at the minute, but uh, expecting some sort of um, data sheet um, balance update. So hopefully they'll bring them back in line and uh, get some feel goods back with the Harlequins again. Yeah, and this is something we've talked a lot about um, off the air since we last recorded. I have zero problem with them being a squadron. I think it's just an issue of points. And there was a comment in our Facebook group about like, well, what do you, what would you do to fix them? In my opinion, it's just a points fix. Um, I would just look at Vipers, Venoms, Ravagers, and probably the Hornet. And you know, the Hornet with double lances is a hundred points. And I would just sort of go from there. Yeah, I, I think you're right. For, for me, it sits somewhere between the, the Hornet and the Ravager in terms of like power and resilience. It doesn't have as many wounds, but it's got a bit more survivability. Um, the weapon output, it's similar, but slightly different. So yeah, I think, um, yeah, for, for me, it's, it's, it's sort of Ravager territory for me. So yeah, so it fits somewhere in between Hornet and Ravager. I think you're, you're pretty spot on. Yeah, and what is a Ravager sitting at like now? Like 120 points, something like that. Um, yeah, I think so. I can't remember. I haven't made a Drukari list in a long time. <laughs> no, it's been it's been a while for me as well. Like, they are one of my favorite armies, though. But uh, yeah, yeah. But I think the Hornet yeah. is somewhat comparable. You know, it's it has what eight wounds, toughness five or toughness six, something like that. But the built-in minus one to hit. I, th I think you know, just treat it like a scout vehicle. But you know, for for me, Harlequins need like a that's that's their only gun platform um you know the bikes are great but the bikes are not really made to take out monsters with the shuriken cannons and the haywire cannons don't do anything against monsters and as everyone's probably seen by now tyranids are definitely going to be a thing so the prismatic cannon is like a must for the internal balance of the book and i think the weapon profile is fine it's just the points yeah, I, I agree. And um, I was listening to Real Space Rangers, and I think George was quite upset about this. Um, and I, I, he had some valid points, but also I think when you look at the context of the uh, the Harlequin book, the Harlequin book itself is quite limited in terms of resources. When you look at Drakari Army, in terms of the access to heavy support and firepower output there, is quite a bit larger. When actually, for Harlequin's army, you're really talking about the, the Void Weavers. So. Uh, I think the access to squadrons is the right thing, whether it should have been one to two or one to three, uh, and then coupled with that, the points are probably well, are in my in my view mismatched. Then uh, I, I think that's probably where the focus of changes need to be. Yeah, definitely. I, I would say that the craft world points are sort of what I wish every army was at, um, and just I think before we move on to the actual codex coverage. Um, I'll just say that 
I hope, I hope that they don't do too much with this data, uh, balanced data slate. I hope they undo the points changes to Space Marines um, and Death Guard, and sort of like any of the other point increases for the other factions, like Sisters too. Like go back to what they were originally, tune up the points on the um, Void Weaver, and maybe change the thing with the Death Jester, and then just leave it alone. Um, because I think other than that, I think all the codexes play really, really well against each other. Maybe some like points breaks or something like Blood Angels. I still think Blood Angels are great. I'm not exactly sure like what their issue is, but some points breaks for the factions that are sort of struggling and just probably get them back to their original points totals or, you know, it's like custodies too. I don't understand like why they change those points at the last second like that. Um, and I think the game would be in a much better spot and some changes to Tau that those are the only rules changes I would make is probably something for like, um, smart missiles. Yeah. And I, I think the thing to factor as well, like kind of you touched on there is like there's, there's some, uh, big codex is dropping pretty soon. So the meta is going to be quite, uh, uh, I think up and down for the next couple of months with all these different releases coming out because invariably as new things come out so people are caught unaware and stuff so the relative strength of things is generally a little bit higher uh, when a new book drops I think so um, yeah with like Knights and uh, Tyranids which are just released this week and stuff as well so yeah there's lots there's lots of stuff happening very soon so I think a measured balanced update is probably the uh, is the way to go because ultimately I'm um, as a, a Harlequins fanboy, I really like seeing lots of Harlequins on the table. Yeah, I don't like uh, seeing just Harlequins of uh, Void Weavers sitting around, but um, I don't want them to be nerfed into its entirety. I want them to be nerfed into being uh, not necessarily an S tier, but you know, top A tier. That that would make me happy. Yeah, yeah. I think if they changed, if if all they did was increase the points on the Void Weaver and change maybe the thing with the Death Jester. I think they'd be an A-tier army because they're still really, really fragile and um, against stuff like knights and, well, maybe not knights, but definitely against Tyranids, it's going to be a challenge. If they if they got those Void Weavers up to sort of Ravager um, or, you know, Hornets plus points levels, um, I still think they would be struggling um, against what's going to come with, with Tyranids. I think Tyranids are going to be amazing. I'm happy that yep. Tyranids are going to be amazing. I don't care if people are crying about it. Like their time has come. They've struggled for for long enough. Crusher Stampede, you know, notwithstanding. Um, but I'm thrilled about that book. And I feel I've said this for a long time, with very few exceptions, like probably like Necrons and Blood Angels. I feel like all of these factions have been great. You know, great representation at tournaments. You know, Death Guard might not have like won anything. But they like you have to go through them at a tournament. Dark Angels, you have to go through them at a tournament. Um, Drukari, all you know, Tau, Custodes, Grey Knights, like they've all been really great contenders. Even if they haven't dominated, um, they've seen great representation, and uh, I think that's going to continue through the end of the edition. So I hope they just have a light touch with this balanced data slate. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So we, uh, in fact, we just have a, a quick update on what uh, what you've been up to hobby-wise in the past. Uh, I can't even remember when we did our last recording. So <laughs> past past month, I guess. Yeah, I think it was about a month ago. So 
A um, little bit of a slowdown. I've just had a lot of stuff going on, you know, just real life type stuff. But I have soldiered on and I'm almost done with the next five Banshees. So, uh, man, I tell you what, just having like well, two squads of five or alternately, you know, a big unit of ten plus Jane's are. I'm just like looking in my, uh, you know, my display case. I'm like, wow, such a nice touch on this you know on my overall collection it's been a long time since i've painted any legit aspect warriors and they just you know the howling banshees are so good and my sort of we'll, we'll do this probably like after we're done with our harlequin coverage just talk about the list that we're excited to run my sort of double banshee list with jane czar is probably the most excited i've been to run a list since um, the Harlequin's Psychic Awakening, um, where I pulled the Harlequins back into my mainstay, and uh, I'm really excited. So, and speaking of that, uh, speaking of Harlequins, I got a Shadow Seer too. So I have like a sort of nice. ninth ed remix of my Harlequin and Craftworld list that I'm super excited to run. It's basically the same list that I've always run, um, with just the basic patrol like the the traveling players patrol just with they uh swap out the troop master for the shadow seer i'm still going to keep running the the um the troop master but i'm excited to try out the shadow seer she's been one of my favorite characters ever and i'm going to try like uh we had talked about painting the harlequins at least I think you were talking about doing squads and like totally unique colors. And I think I'm going to do that, but just with some of the characters, make them like players from um, other masks and things like that, that are sort of like visiting my Corsair okay. war band. So I'm going to do some different things just in terms of painting with that shadow seer. So um, I'm excited. I'm going to hopefully get a chance to do some hobbying later on today and finish up those banshees. Oh, nice. How about you, dude? I think you went to a little uh, hobby retreat not too long ago. Yes, I had a uh, a week away with my uh, with some buddies. We um, like once or twice a year, we go off to a cottage and um, uh, just play games and hang out. And uh, it was great. Did some hill walking and stuff, and then uh, played some games in the evening. So yeah, so did uh, played some kill team, played some 40k, played um, Dreadfleet because I've had that game for like years and i've painted up during uh lockdown so it's great to actually play dreadfleet because that's yeah uh, if you've got it dust it out that is such a fun game yeah so much, so much fun uh, a bit of hero quest as well yes which was, uh, <laughs> which was, which was awesome <laughs> dungeon crawling uh yeah it's hobby wise in terms of like models and stuff haven't done too much uh since coming back from that i've been pretty full on with work so i haven't had too much time so i've done uh avatar so i've, I've built him and then um, I got two boxes of um, shining spears, so I'm making up a five-man unit, and then I'm making up an autark on jet bike with the, uh, the sixth guy. So just in the process of sort of slowly sticking them together when I get a bit of uh, time and space to do it. That's glorious, so it's man. Been, uh, yeah, so it's, it's it's not been massive, massive hobby project, but uh, uh, I'm hoping the course I'm on will finish. At some point, so I'm currently three months into a sorry, twelve months into a three month course at the minute, so it just seems to be dragging. Uh, so I'm hopefully, hopefully finishing soon, so I can get some uh, some life back. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting some games with some of these new models, especially my double banshee list. And um, 
Yeah, definitely by the time that we played, uh, or the time we record the after the Harlequins coverage is finished, um, super excited to talk about playing with a lot of this new stuff because it's going to be exciting. Really, really looking yeah. forward to seeing how some of this stuff plays out. Yeah, so some exciting news as well. I found out that uh, is at least five um, gamers uh, on my unit, and there's a gaming club as well. So hopefully, I will uh, get a lot more gaming in soon, which should be great. Yeah, that is glorious, dude. I'm so excited for you. That is always a happy discovery when you realize you've got <laughs> yeah. more Warhammer players, you know, in your immediate community. So that is awesome, dude. Absolutely. Well, should we uh, should we get to talking about the the Harkins? Yeah, yeah, let's do it, man. So I think uh, the first thing to know really is we're just gonna we're gonna cover the the, the basic elements today, um, and then on the second show that we do, we'll look, we'll cover a bit more what comes out of the balance data sheet, uh, and then talk a bit more about combos and stuff that you can do with the stratagems and putting people together in terms of uh, different builds. Because uh, I think it'd just be a bit premature to do that right now because. Uh, we're not entirely sure what's changing right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, and Harlequins are so, they're so deep in terms of combinations and play that it'd be good to have all of those details because, like we always say, we want this show to be like a resource and to have to go back and redo that show. I'd rather do it right the first yeah. time. Absolutely. So I think the probably one that interests you the most is the the traveling players. Which um, is, is most probably known now is, it, is a rule that allows you to take a patrol detachment of uh, Harlequins and not break uh, either the uh, Azurani or Drakari rules that you're, you're currently using. Um, so, which is which is really nice because it, for me, it means that if you're taking a patrol detachment, all you need is a HQ and a troop unit. Mm-hmm. So, with Harlequins, that's one box of troops essentially is the minimum you need. So. One box of troops gives you six uh, characters in there, so and then one of them will be uh, the troop master. So, for one box, you get a troop master and five players, and off you go with that. You starting uh, dipping your toe into uh, a Harlequin force, really. And I, I think that's a really great thing to have. I do too. Um, and even if you, that's all you do, and you just run them on the ground, you stick them in like a ruin out of line of sight. It's an easy, fun include in any list. And uh, yeah, you're totally right. The traveling players thing has been my approach to Harlequins. I would l- like to eventually have a you know a standalone force of them, and I should at some point uh, be able to do that. But you know, I think I think you'd said that this is probably the best way to sort of warm people up to Harlequins and start to get people to you know experiment with them, and this makes it really easy. And I feel like this is really thematic uh the way that this works and because i always liked harlequins when they were just a unit choice in both the drukari and the craft world codex and so this sort of gives you that back and hopefully it leads to more people playing harlequins because they are a game changer when i first started incorporating harlequins into my craft world list in late eighth edition I would say that's what really, t- I think that was the peak of my playing, honestly. It, once I, I learned how to use Harlequins, I feel like I really learned how to use Eldari overall. So I love the traveling players rule. Yeah, it's, it's great. And it, like I say, it's, it, 
So in the gameplay, it's it's, it's great because you can get access to different mechanics, but then like visually to the army as well, especially like a Jakari army, which is generally quite dark. Adding a splash of colour in there with one unit Harlequins is is quite nice, and I think it, by allowing people to do this, you know, it allows them to build up a Harlequin army over time, which is which is a great thing to see. And hopefully people will see that uh, they're not actually too difficult to paint, but it depends upon you know, sort of level detail you, you want to splash into with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's the perfect way to get started with them. And um, once you give them a whirl, they're very addictive. They're a very addicting faction to play um, because there's so much there. And you're like, ooh, like I could see that combination that I was almost just about to pull off right there. And like when things start clicking, Harlequins are really fun. Yeah, I was, I was, I was reminiscing with my buddy yesterday about a game we played at a tournament before uh, COVID hit. And uh, just some of the gameplay that you can have in these. And we we're playing a doubles tournament and I completely ambushed the other opponents that uh, thought they were smashing us at the time. Uh, but... Uh, just the Harlequins, just because they're just so different. People don't necessarily know what to expect with them, and it's really, uh, it's really easy at times to just get your opponent off guard and uh, have quite a surprise assault on them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like that Harlequin sort of sneak attack where it's like you have just this small unit and then just packs like the most like devastating punch because they can just get wherever they need to be and then they just hit so so hard yeah and they're, they're fast they're really fast so so talking about that's probably worth us talking about the harlequin's detachment abilities and the sadaths yeah uh, i think we touched on it before um harlequins used to have um different um troops that they could use so you'd have um like i'm just drawing a blank now so um, soaring, soaring spite and uh, midnight sorrow Midnight Sorrows, yeah, and all, all those as jazz, and I'm drawing a complete blank now. So that, that's gone, um, but what's been replaced with is the ability to choose from different Sadaths, and Sadaths follow the light, dark, and twilight, which is something that uh, harks back to the original Codex that was released when you had um, the different Warlord traits that you could choose from the, the light, the dark, and the twilight, and then you'd have different uh, units within your force that would have those, but there was no real rules with it, but now they've brought this out. And I really, really like it uh, because it means that I can have my own mask um, and depending on what I choose to do, I can choose it to play it as the mask of light, the mask of dark and the mask of twilight, which for very, very little, if not no monetary investment or time investment, I've now got a, a Harlequin's army that just plays very differently. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really fun mechanic to have without having to paint anything. So uh which which is great yeah um it's like three chapters in one you just choose yeah because yeah. initially i was a little bit disappointed going oh i'm only getting three and i don't i'm no longer having this story spike but now I, I i break away off my own mask and what i've done uh to represent this is i've got three troop masters that i've painted up as the light troop master the dark troop master and the twilight and that's just for for me really in terms of uh for my hobby and uh i've just built into the character of that into my army and i really i really enjoy it Um, yeah and i think they have transfers for light dark and twilight on the um harlequin transfer sheet and if not it's a really easy symbol it should still be in the current codex um if not 
just look for scans of the old uh, 7th edition codex. Uh, I love all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I'm with you. I actually prefer the light, dark, and twilight. I feel like it opens up like more hobby opportunities too. So you could just paint you know, one Harlequin troop. Um, yep. And just do variations on a theme. So um, I, I really like it. I think it's cool. I think it's thematic. And I think it... I, I got, it was kind of weird now that I think about it that they went to mask forms in 8th edition. I guess it followed the template for what they were doing a little bit more closely back then, but yeah. I feel like this is a little bit more true to what Harlequins are. Yeah, absolutely. And if you had uh, a certain mask that you played last time, the nice thing about this is um, they've taken all those masks and they've smashed them into... I think it was six masks before, and they smashed them down to three. Yeah. Uh, so rather than just getting one benefit, you're getting two benefits. So if you built your uh, mask towards Soaring Spite, there is the the light, which I think sort of represents that the, the greatest. But then you're also getting an additional buff there as well. Um, uh, there's the, the Midnight Sorrow. If you use them, there's a, a, a Sadaf here that represents them. And again, you're getting an additional buff because some of the uh, in reality, like, there are only two Soaring Spice and Frozen Stars are the two go to um, masks that people previously used. Yeah. But now you've got these, and these actually spread out, and they're, they're all pretty, pretty, pretty good. And I can never really decide which one I'm going to go for. So uh, I think they're pretty well set up. Yeah, and it's funny, like, people are pretty excited about uh, Dark, where you fight on death, and I remember nobody liked that that uh, mask form in 8th edition. I thought it was pretty good, but, um, yeah. yeah, like you said, the all the mask forms have sort of been poured into these three categories, so you can recreate the play style of any of those, and honestly, the data sheets really do it for you anyways. Like, if you want to do Soaring Spite, you know, the bikes are good enough. Um, if you want to do um uh what i can't remember uh, frozen stars and stuff like that you have like the stratagems to sort of recreate that play style regardless yeah. so yeah but yeah, yeah and all three of these forms are great uh, all all three side s are great it's really like how do you want to play that's like the decision like you know what suits my play style best and i like that more than um, anything else in terms of game design, things that are tailored towards play style rather than just damage multiplication or damage denial or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, should we go into the rules for this then? Um, I, th I think the first one to talk about is the, the lead role, which means that um, if you have a Harlequin's army uh, and you're choosing a Harlequin's uh, character to be uh, the Warlord, and you have a troop master, it must be the troop master that is the warlord. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, it, it, it's, it, it's it's very fitting in the fluff, and I think it's... Uh, I, I don't see any downside of that at all, really. Um, from a th thematic perspective, I think some people used to like putting the, uh, the death jester as the, as the warlord and having it sit at the back, but I, but I think in terms of the theme of the army, having the troop master as the warlord makes complete sense. Yeah, I, I like when the you know you sort of have to stick to the narrative, um, especially when it's you know, that obvious of a narrative note. Like the troop master is not going to take a backseat to the death jester. Come on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and then let's go to the, the three sadafs themselves. So we've got the 
Uh, the light, the characterization of the blazing of blazing light. Uh, each time a model in this unit makes a, uh, each time an attack is made against a unit with this characterization, if the attacking model is more than 12 inches away, an unmodified roll of uh, one to three. Uh, for that attack fails irrespective of any abilities that the weapon or model making the attack may have. So that's the first part. Uh, and the second part is each time a unit with this characterization makes a normal move or advances in your movement phase, in your following shooting phase, that unit counts as having remained stationary. Amazing. I really like these, I really like these two. Um, the light is the one I tend to go towards just because I like uh, fast, gimmery type uh, armies. So this gives me the ability to, um, if I'm 12 inches away, anytime that somebody's rolling at me, they can't modify it on a one, two, three, those hits fail. So against like things like custodies or space marines, this is the has the maximum impact for this. Yeah, I mean this is absolutely huge. Uh, the defensive buff is massive, especially um, for me where I'm taking you know just harlequins as a as a patrol, and those elements are really really important. I'm not going to have redundancy, and like my bikes are have a very very important role. I don't have another tool like that in my army so that's huge and the movement thing is massive as well because i like playing you know going flat out <laughs> to borrow an old uh seventh edition phrase you know i play a high speed game and this enables me to keep playing you know to play that high speed game on overdrive with harlequins and put that immediate pressure on your opponent whether it's just from maneuvering or just getting in their face turn one if you see the opportunity to go for an important kill yeah exactly and it allows you to sit back on that first turn uh, and be out out of that 12 inch range uh, and then yeah move up pretty quickly still being able to shoot and then charge afterwards is that's that's pretty bloody good um, yeah I, I like it a lot yeah it really plays into my play style yeah i agree light uh, light's probably my favorite as well because I was a soaring spite player previously, and not for the fusion boats, but for the bikes. So, yeah, I, I just love the ability to move and shoot without penalty. Yeah, that was my uh, my big go to. Uh, the thing to note now is previously we had uh, assault weapons uh, on the boats, but now they're all heavy weapons. So this does make a difference. It means that you can advance and still shoot. Yeah, massive, massive. Light is great. Um, this is the one I like, and for my Harlequins list, this is what I have an eye towards right now. Cool. Uh, so, looking onto the the Warlord trait, the Player of Light, uh, it allows the heroic intervention with the Warlord uh, up to six inches, horizontally and five inches vertically, instead of three and five vertically. And each time the uh, Warlord makes heroic intervention, it can move up to six inches. All other rules for heroic in intervention still apply. That's the first point. Second point is each time this warlord fights, if it made a charge mood or performed a heroic intervention this turn, then uh, until that uh, fight is resolved, add one to the strength and tax characteristic of this warlord. I mean, this is great. Um, I will say, though, like heroic intervention and Eldari characters to me is not the biggest deal in the world just because they're so fragile they're t3 they don't have a ton of wounds and if 
your opponent has gotten the drop on them, they're typically going to die. And if you have already sort of sprung your attack um, and your opponent's able to just disengage and typically blow you away with shooting, you know. But, I mean, if you're able to... If you're able to position yourself in such a way that your troop master is able to survive for multiple turns after hitting the ground, this is a nightmare. And when I played against uh, a lot of games against Thousand Suns, uh, when I was sort of using my troop master more as like an assassin, almost like a solitaire, um, yeah, like he did survive for multiple turns. Like I'd be going after sort of support characters and sort of like elite retinues and things like that and my troop master he but the troop master is the best character i've ever had in any uh any edition of any game my troop master has been an absolute menace so it is possible to get him to survive against multiple turns uh for multiple turns but i think it just sort of depends on your opponents uh, because a lot of times they'll just disengage and blow them away but the the bonuses to attack on the charge are great so, um, yeah. more attacks, better strength, phenomenal. Yeah, for, for me, uh, the, yeah, exactly. The heroic intervention buff is a, a nice situationally uh, and tricksy uh, rule that has some combos that we'll probably talk on the next show about. Um, but yeah, the, the main thing of this is getting that strength, um, strength one and additional, sorry, additional strength and attacks characteristic whenever it's charging. That's really, really good. Especially when you factor in now that we've, um, I think, we've got six attacks for the the Harlequin Troopmaster, mm-hmm. so instantly you're on seven attacks, which is uh, which is pretty out there. I, I don't think there are many characters that have uh, seven attacks. No, definitely not. The Autark is a little bit jealous. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, considering you know when you when you think about uh, the Solitaire and everybody goes on about how many attacks mm-hmm. the Solitaire's got, Solitaire has eight attacks. So yeah. this guy here is already starting off with just one less, and you can really, really buff this guy up quite significantly as well. So that's, uh, for me, a really, really good uh, wall of traits. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like a Phoenix Lord. So Yeah. So uh, we'll talk about the uh, the next relic now, which is a bit mediocre, I think. Uh, <laughs> <the Shadow> <laughs> oh, so, boy. No, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this is the, the Shadow Stone. It's uh, a light Shadow Seer only. Add three to the range of the bearer's aura's abilities to a maximum of nine. Each time the bearer successfully manages a manifest a psychic power from the phantasmancy discipline, add three to the range of that psychic power's effect. So good. So good. Um, and this is the combination that's sort of been uh, setting the world on fire at present. Yeah, exactly. So from this, really, you're going from uh, a six-inch bubble. Uh, sorry, a twelve-inch bubble for lots of things to a uh, an eighteen-inch bubble, which is a significant boost. That's quite a significant proportion of the battlefield. Although it's only you know it's only an extra three inches actually, with aura auras of generally six inches going to nine inches. Uh, that's a significant proportion of the the table that, uh, that you can cover with that. Yeah, and people are comboing this with Fog of Dreams to sort of make the unassailable uh, castle of Void Weavers. And, I mean, that was definitely not the intent <laughs> when they made <laughs> when they made this codex, because that's not Harlequin's play style. But it's like what it's supposed to do is make a really important um, 
unit, you're able to sort of protect it turn one. And I think Harlequin should have access to something like that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, on the whole, it, that's a really, really good relic. And uh, I think people are using that one uh, quite a bit competitively. So uh, not much else to say about that, to be honest. Yeah, uh, I think it's great. And, you know, cheesy exploits aside, this is something that I would like to use in a sort of less abusive context. So I hope it doesn't get nerfed into the ground because I think it's really fluffy. And that's the way that Shadow Seers used to play with um, Veil of Tears. Um, and I loved Veil of Tears. So in older editions of the game, and I like how it recreates that. Um, I, I like those classic game mechanic uh sort of remixes so yeah this is yeah i agree super strong combination and hopefully they don't completely destroy it <laughs> <laughs> i hope so too be gentle games workshop yes uh, and the the, uh, the stratagem that comes along with the uh the light is the capricious reflections use this stratagem in your opponent's charge phase when a light unit from your army is selected as a target of a charge if that unit is not in engagement range of any enemy units it can make a normal move of up to six inches. Until the end of that phase, that unit cannot fire overwatch or set to defend. Your opponent can select uh, new targets for that charge. The, this stratagem is absolutely amazing. And this is the kind of troll job stuff that I love <laughs> about Harlequins. Like, um, oh, what, I'm trying to remember what it's called. The... Uh, because you have that stratagem where you can make those normal moves and stuff like that for the for the Harlequins. But I love this with the bikes. Um, I really love this with the bikes where you can make a really daring first turn, especially with this uh, Sadath where you, know, you unleash all of your Haywire, your Shurikens, you go for a really daring charge, um, and hopefully you sort of support that charge well enough in the shooting and assault phase with other units. And... Um, you're able to just move, and then you know your your bikes are sort of hanging out, sort of out in the open, and with their amount of wounds, the minus one hit, etc., etc., and hopefully you know you put yourself in a position on the charge where you're not exposed too much. Anything that tries to react to that threat, you just fall back. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah this is, this is definitely one of those troll job ones, and there's it's some really good combinations that you can you can bring out with this one, which we'll discuss in the next episode a bit more detail. Um, but yeah, there, there, there are just so many. Like an initial reading, it may not seem that powerful, but the, the ability to reposition like this in your opponent's turn has some really really great um, advantages to it. So uh, I, I love this. So for me, summary um, for the characterization of light, uh, I love uh, the fast moving nature of it. The defensive nature of it and uh, some of the shoulder job uh, nature that you can to get with this one as well so for me uh this is the the troll job uh one uh, and that's probably why it appeals to me quite a bit yeah love it love it love it love it um this is the kind of stuff that can really throw your opponent off and for you know non-eldari players they'd point to this and be like you know this is a a bad feels moment but guess what man you're playing against harlequins this is what they're supposed to do so <laughs> yeah. deal so, with it brother yeah, was, yeah so my, my my cottage break that i went away with my buddy john uh he was he was there and uh as i was driving with my other friend uh we were discussing like the new book i was like oh, i really like harlequin stuff it's really great and i know that my buddy john 
is going to hate the Harlequin stuff for all the reasons I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we literally got there and he started opening up about the Harlequins and uh, my other buddy laughed because he's like, yeah, you, you were spot on. Or John John hates that stuff. Yeah. In, in the words of the great uh, macho man Randy Savage, you don't have to like it, but you got to accept <laughs> it. <laughs> Brian, that one's for you. <laughs> right, should we talk about the dark? Yeah, definitely. Really good one. I'm excited to see people start and play with this because I think people are going to be able to do a lot with this form. Yeah, so characterization, dark deeds. Certainly it's a dark deed. Uh, each time a model with this character, characterization is destroyed in uh, sorry, by a melee attack. Struggling to reach the name. If that model has not fought that phase, um, do not remove them from playing. The destroyed model can fight after the attacking model's unit has finished making attacks. And is there removed from play? Second point: uh, each time a model with this characterization makes a melee attack, improve the armor penetration characteristic of that attack by one. Great. I mean, absolutely nasty. And bear in mind, this applies to characters too. So troop master, mm. things like that. And I mean, this is this would be a great sort of counts as for uh yanari actually if you want to do like yanari harlequins or something like that i love this mask form and this is one i definitely try to play around with and i think the uh the improvement to ap is actually kind of a big deal um because the the harlequin panoply is only minus two ap so yeah so so for me uh i think this is the strongest of the three really Uh, personal opinion yeah so I think this is the stronger one, and I, I think that for the the fight on death and the improved uh, AP, I think the AP. Uh, so as you've mentioned there, the, the Harlequin's weapons essentially the kiss, caress, and embrace are minus two, yeah. two damage, and with this that makes them minus three. So essentially, what you have is Harlequins with straightforward weapons that are minus three, two damage. So it's two damage power swords essentially, but that all your harlequins have that i think that's quite significant yeah before you even start Especially, chucking around stratagems yeah so then when you chuck around stratagems you have the one we talked about on the, uh, on the preview show um where you can use a crest and you can get rid of invulnerable saves so having a minus three no invuns two damage and then you can make that three damage with another strat so there are just some combos there that are really deadly to to elite units and at the same time they'll murderate um like squads you know mass squads of things as well so for me if you're going uh combat heavy dark is the way to go yeah i'm thinking of murderous entrance for a bonus to damage yeah and when we get to their relic too um yeah there is a ton of yeah, this <laughs> yes. this Sadath <laughs> yeah, is good. <laughs> yeah, just see why it's, it's, it's really good. So, I, and I, and I think we we talked about the light about the uh, minus one. Uh, sorry, if you act on twelve inches, hit rolls of one, two, and three failing. Yeah, with the smaller boards and the proximity that you're generally going to be in with Harlequin units because you're going to be charging and getting close, that doesn't take effect for for a lot of the game potentially. Yeah, well, this this really does. It's going the when entire time. Yeah, when, when you're getting stuck into it, you are really going to bring the pain with this one. Uh, so talking about the uh, the Warlord traits, uh, the player of Dark, each time the Warlord makes a melee attack on an unmodified wound roll of a five, the target suffers one mortal wound in addition to any normal uh, damage. 
that's pretty good, man. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you consider it, it's, it's six attacks base. So, say five get through, you're going to get one or two mortal wounds. And I think as we go through this, the aggregation of like small chips and mortal wounds from Harlequins, it, it, it adds up. It adds up. So, definitely. Um, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, going to the relic, uh, the relic now, it's the Ghoul Mask. Dark model only. If. Uh, Sorry, in your opponent's psychic phase, the bearer can attempt to deny one psychic power as if it were a psyker. If the bearer is a psyker, the bearer can attempt to deny one additional psychic power in each of your opponent's psychic phase. Ah, that's a nice little bonus. It is. Second point is the, the bearer has the following ability. Hideous form aura. While an enemy unit is within three inches of this model, that unit loses the objective secured ability. That's pretty significant. It's huge. It's absolutely massive. And considering, you know, you're probably going to put this on a troop master. Um, I always try, my troop master's job is to absolutely disrupt. And this is a huge disruption move right here. Uh, I mean, this can, yeah. you could completely swing a game with this right here, especially considering that the, um, the heavy lifters of a Harlequin army, Void Weaver notwithstanding, are the players. That means you have like objective secured stuff all over the board, and in the most critical area, mm -hmm. you're taking that away from your opponent. I mean, this is a massive relic. Yeah, uh, I, I, it's pretty good. <laughs> I'm going to say that quite a bit actually, because uh, uh, the Harlequin stuff, uh, I think, is probably in the most internally best internally balanced uh codex that's, that's come out so far so yeah uh, everything is is pretty good all good so um yeah uh cool so in that case we'll move on to the the stratagem that comes with the dark it's the silken knife it's one cp use this stratagem at the start of the charge phase select one enemy unit until the end of that phase each time that enemy unit is selected as a target but charged by a dark unit that enemy unit cannot uh fire overwatch or set to defend a uh, bit situational but really really good say you're going into something with flamers um or just a crazy high volume of offense harlequins are really fragile clutch clutch yeah yeah it's, it's often you know charging into units even though sometimes uh overwatch isn't that effective like you say you know if units got flamers or something like that or particularly good at doing overwatch switching that off is a, is a nice bonus yeah yeah uh, i agree so overall uh, that's the dark for me i think it's probably the more powerful of the uh, uh of the combos you know, taking out aside the, the sort of the combo there with the, the, the shadow stone on the light uh, i think outwardly and balanced wise i think um, dark is the most powerful of the, uh, the three yeah definitely I, i'm gonna have to give this a whirl at some point um light sort of su suits my play style a bit more but um dark has a ton of play so i'm really excited to see i'm really excited to see what this is like post uh balanced data slate yeah and uh, going back to what i said earlier like, the thing i really like about this is that 
I think it just makes the longevity of my army and my, my ability to change up my army just quite significant. Like I can, you know, play through these, or I can, you know, play with different relics that are available and stuff as well. And it just gives a subtly different feel to the army, which I really enjoy. Yeah, me too, me too. And I think Dark has a dramatic uptick in offense because you're basically killing stuff in your opponent's phase as well. So yeah. huge. Exactly. So moving then on to Twilight, which is the final of the Sadaths. The characterization Twilight Falls. Each time a unit with this characterization fights, if it made a charge or was charged or performed a heroic intervention this turn, um, uh, this turn, uh, until the end of the the fight is resolved, add one to the tax characteristic of models in that unit. Next point, uh, each time a model with this characterization makes a pile-in or consolidation move, it can move uh, up to an additional two inches. Yeah, awesome. So, so this, yeah, so this is like uh, Frozen, uh, Frozen Stars and Midnight Stories pretty much combined into into one trait here. Yeah. Uh, and both of those are really good. It's, uh, I, I, the extra attack, you know, basic harlequins going up to five attacks you can't complain about that at all uh and then having the the fun and uh, tricksiness that you can have with the uh, the extra two inches in the piling consolidation as well that can make a significant difference yeah absolutely um I, it never really happened in eighth edition but i i thought eventually with the combination of warlord traits and stratagems um, that Midnight and Relics, actually. I thought that Midnight Sorrow would be sort of the master's um, mask form. That never really happened, but combining Midnight Sorrow with Frozen Stars, which I thought yeah, very, very powerful combination, and just getting more board control through consolidation and piling moves is massive. And then that awesome spike in offense, great, really powerful. And the... Warlord trait and relic uh, is really good for this um, Sadath as well. Yeah, Joel, I think you've hit on it there actually. For me, like, I think dark's the most powerful. Light is the one that uh, really appeals to me in terms of my playstyle. But I think Twilight is the master's one. Yeah, that's the one to once you've really got all the tricks of the army down. This is when you can tap into. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you look at the warlord trait specifically, I mean the relic is gangster as hell but the the warlord trait is definitely suits the dedicated harlequin player like i wonder if sean naden will pick this one yeah so warlord trait the player of twilight while this warlord is on the battlefield each time your you or your opponent spends any commander points uh use uh a stratagem uh you can roll a d6 for each command point spent on a six you gain one command point really good uh yeah the second point while the wall is on the battlefield each time you roll up four or more dice for the luck of the laughing god roll uh you gain one command point yeah phenomenal um harlequins are still very cp hungry and um this keeps those cps flowing in so i think that this is really really good if you're looking to maximize your play in terms of stratagem efficiency Twilight, uh, this Warlord trait is, it's a, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. Uh, and like, uh, we've not touched on Laughing God rolls there, but uh, that's an ability to get some, some re-rolls later. And rolling four dice, this could be a double win, because it means that you could get potentially additional four re-rolls and a command point back if you're really lucky with your rolls, which is, as a Harlequin player, just plays into that, that tricksy 
uh, fickle nature of the, of the Laughing God. Yeah, and when you sort of stack that on top of the consolidation move thing, um, the extra CP to keep those stratagems going turn after turn after turn means this is a faction that's going to be all over you. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so the, the Relic, Twilight Fang, this is pretty much what we had from the update in White Dwarf, the uh, Psychic Awakenings. Mm-hmm. Um, Twilight's Troop Master model uh, with an Eldari Power Sword only. Uh, this Relic replaces the Eldari Power Sword and has the following profile. Twilight Fang, melee, range, melee, uh, plus two strength, minus three, and two damage. So essentially strength five, minus three, two damage. So it's a, it's a pretty hefty power sword there. Uh, and the ability, each time the, fight, uh, each time the bearer fights, until the fight is resolved, add one... Uh, sorry, add the current battle round number to the attack's characteristic of the bearer. So, for example, if you're on battle round one, you get to add one. And considering the fact that it's Twilight model as well, uh, it's already getting one. So, this model is going to get six attack space, one for being Twilight, and then one for this weapon. So, you're starting the game with eight attacks. Absolutely bananas. And then going up to 12 attacks by the end of uh, the fifth turn or the start of the fifth turn dude's a psycho <laughs> yeah. like, that that is that is a windmill isn't it that is going to come in and absolutely blitz units yeah and like for for me like typically going in with your troop master turn two onwards and when he gets in there look out uh, especially because you can stack stratagems on top of this to go up to damage three this dude is just murking characters yeah yeah and there's some other benefits as well that we'll, we'll talk about shortly that you can add on to that as well which makes it even even more powerful yeah so the uh the strategy we've got this is malicious frenzy uh, it's one cp use this strategy when a twilight unit from your army is selected to fight each time a model in that unit makes an attack and a modify hit roll of six automatically wounds the target solid enough solid enough like if something's like really really got to die uh and you want to just try to push through as many wounds as possible which sometimes can be a little bit of a struggle for harlequins if they're going up against tougher opponents um like monsters and maybe stuff like custodies and whatnot like you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna want to use this uh, just having yeah. it is great. You're like, uh, I really need to push through wounds right now. I'm going to use this. Yeah, this this is really good against high toughness model arm uh, units because you are you're hitting on threes and you, you chuck out a boatload of attacks again. So it's five attacks for each Harlequin here. So if you can, uh, you can potentially like say buff this up to give extra damage as well. Uh, so just you know punching it straight through. Um, without having to do the wound roll that's quite nice yeah like rendable in when i'm thinking of using this with war dancers for fights twice should carry over so something really really needs to die yeah. uh this is really clutch especially in like a desperation move and let's be real if you're playing harlequins those desperation games are going to be you know, happening quite a bit because they're fragile, they're expensive, and when you really need to turn the fight, you're going to be digging into these stratagems. And again, uh, Twilight keeps the CPs flowing, so you can just keep those stratagems 
going turn after turn after turn. So um, not like going to blow you away, but it's a good one to have. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I um, so that's the the Twilight. I, I think this is probably more Masters or uh, uh, version of the three Sadafs you have there. Um, I think all Sadafs there are, are viable and uh, have interesting options available to help sort of build your list around as well. Yeah, they're all really really good, and again, you can sort of. You can play around with these. Uh, just because you've painted up your Harlequins and any of the schemes doesn't really matter. You can try all of these because each mask form has elements of light, dark, and twilight. So uh, if you want to try different things, experiment with your play style, try to find your play style, um, this is really good. And there's a lot of depth to each of these. So you can go on a long journey with each one or sort of flip between them if you're more experienced. You sort of know what you're doing. And uh, again, I think this opens up Harlequins uh, to people who might not have tried them before. And uh, and going forward, I actually quite like this sort of setup in like Space Marines, rather than going, uh, for example, you have Ultramarines and you have that one ability that Ultramarines can use. Yeah, maybe having two or three different ways that you could build that Ultramarines army. That would be very interesting to see that happen because there's a lot to them. And um, if you want to lean to like one sort of aspect of, say, Ultramarines or, you know, Imperial Fists or something like that, it allows you to sort of tease out the different sort of narrative elements of that army that might not see the most representation in terms of game mechanics. Yeah, because often, you know, if you... There's a potential, you know, if you're an ultramarine player and you like to play in that that one way, and then or you have a mind of how it works, and then all of a sudden your codex comes out, and the trait that they get doesn't necessarily fit the way you like it, then you know it's it's it's, it's a bit it's, it's turned me off armies in the past, but you know having this option here, of three different ways to play the same army essentially, I think it's a really nice uh, touch. Yeah, maybe something like this would be a easier way to sort of streamline sub factions in the future. Um, not you know I'm not dropping breadcrumbs on that, but I don't know. I think there's something here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Should we have a look at the pivotal roles? Yeah. So pivotal roles is something that came up during the psychic awakening. Uh, you had to pay CP for it. You don't pay CP for it anymore, but you pay points. So you have the troop masters, death jesters, solitaire, and shadow seers, and there's three different um, pivotal roles that they can uh, can take each which is uh, a nice bonus and each one costs a different amount of points so uh, we will jump straight into the troop master there's three available for him it's the prince of light the queen of shards and the veiled king uh, the prince of light uh, rule for that is currently 20 points uh, while a friendly Sadaf core unit is within six of this model each time that charge roll is made for that unit, add one to the results. That's great. Yep. Uh, only thing to note at the minute, we've only got one core unit, and that's the bikes. But I'm pretty sure troops will uh, will gain that core that core benefit. Yeah, that's silly. That's going to happen. I I'm a huge fan of um, bonuses to charge, and this can make like a webway strike or something like that easier. Um, Heroes path stratagem, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, you could do some nasty stuff like uh, with that, especially with uh, command rerolls, luck of the laughing god, etc. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, Queen of Shards. Each time this model makes a melee attack and a modified wound roll of a five, um, invulnerable saving throws cannot be made against that attack. That's really good. Especially with something like the Serpent's Fang, where we're talking about where you just get a ludicrous amount of attacks, or you're using War Dancers, or something like that. I, I think like a common refrain we're going to keep thrown out there is that like in aggregate um all of this stuff really really adds up um and just you you got to remember the volume of attacks the the degree to which you can manipulate you know damage and stuff like that so say you're playing murderous entrance for plus one damage you got the serpent's fang all of a sudden it's turn two you've got nine attacks um you fight twice 18 attacks you're using uh whatever that stratagem was for automatic wounds like you know all of a sudden i mean you're doing all sorts of crazy damage yeah yeah really really good and then the uh my next so queen shards my favorite of these uh, my next favorite is the the veiled king uh each time this model makes a melee attack unless the target is a vehicle or monster Units and a modified wound roll of a 2 plus is always successful. Huge. Huge. Because sometimes yeah. dealing with monsters can be, um, oh, unless it's a target. Uh, custodes. Like, Custodes is the one that I think of right here. Um, we got to send your troop master into something where there's a big toughness advantage. Um, you're ignoring it. You sort of turn them yep. into mini Prince Uriel or 8th edition Prince Uriel. Yeah, so pretty much anything from uh, Space Marine upwards is uh, going to give you a significant benefit for this. So, yeah, Custodius is the is the big boogie right now, boogeyman right now. So, uh, yeah, against them, that's a, a really, really good uh, pivotal roll to take. Mm-hmm. Uh, so moving on to the Death Jesters. Uh, got three of them here. We've got the Harvester of Torment, the Lord of Crystal Bones, and the Rift Ghoul. Uh, the first one is the Harvester of Torment. Each time a model makes a ranged attack, and a modify hit roll of six scores three additional hits. This is the big one right here. This is the big one, and this uh, tallies up with a, um, uh, a warlord trait that can give you an automatic six score um, as well. So, yeah. So before you, you know, with this you can get anywhere between zero and twelve hits with the, uh, the death jester, which is really really good. Especially for. Uh... What is it? I think it's 70 points. I think it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's 15 points uh, addition. That's that's pretty good, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think we might see that one rise a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Lord of Crystal Bones. Each time that this model shoots, if any hits are scored, unless the target is a vehicle or monster unit, until the start of your next turn, subtract two for the movement characteristic of models in that target unit to a minimum of zero. Uh, the target cannot fire overwatch or set to defend. Yeah, this is huge. I think this is going to be a good one, especially against stuff like uh, Tyranids, uh, little bugs at least, or just medium bugs, like Unit of Warriors, which have crazy amount of attacks. Uh, tactically, I think this one is huge. Yeah, I, I really like any time that you can manipulate things. Like we've, we've spoken about in previous uh, episodes about movement being a really key thing in the game and if you could take that off your opponent that's a significant advantage you have there too mm-hmm. 
And then the final one's Rifkul. Each time this model makes an attack, uh, the target does not receive the benefits of cover against that attack. Second point, on a unmodified wound roll of a four, uh, that attack inflicts one mortal wound on the target in addition to any normal damage. It's okay. Not the most amazing. I, you know, I think Harvester of Torment and Lord of Crystal Bones are, are, do it way more for me than anything, but um, Rifkul is solid enough. Uh, yeah, so it, I, I, I like all three. Uh, I've run three Death Jesters, so I'll be using all three of these, and it's, it's a nice little toolbox that I can dip into for, for different situations. Um, the Harvester of Torment is great. Uh, the Lord of Crystal Bones, being able to manipulate movement and turn off Overwatch is situationally really quite powerful and then the aggregation of additional mortal wounds is a, is a nice bonus for for the death jester yeah yep very good the death jester is really good um you got to upgrade them but solid very very solid yeah yeah the death jester is now what you wanted it to be and that has been such great. Mm -hmm. uh, so moving on to solitaires, there's the uh, the Prince of Sins, the Spectre of Despair, and Thirsting Darkness. Uh, Prince of Sins is uh, 20 points. Each time a an attack is made against this model, subtract one from that hit roll. Uh, that attack's hit cannot be rerolled. That's a nice little survivability thing. So that's in combat and in shooting. It's just a minus one to hit. And can't be rerolled. Yeah, so if you're going against like a you know some another kind of combat unit or even just a normal unit, just because you know just like a big unit of Space Marines or something like that, they've got Chapter Master rerolls or something turned on. That's huge for the survivability of a solitaire. Yeah. Uh, my thoughts on that one though is that you should the solitaires are a really small model yeah. and it's very maneuverable, so you shouldn't really be putting it into a place where uh it's going to get attacked like that but uh and that's where these other two come into it quite nicely for me the spectre of despair uh during deployment you must set up this model uh, haunting the foe instead you're haunting the foe instead of setting up on the battlefield in the reinforcement step of one of your movement phases you can set this model up anywhere on the battlefield that is more than nine inches away from enemy models so essentially Gains deep strike. Yeah. Uh, and then the second thing is each time a charge roll is made for this model, roll one additional T6 and discard one of the dice. That's nasty. Yeah. Yep. Set him up with the so Prince I, of I, Light. Ooh, yeah. With the, uh, the plus one to charge and extra dice for charging. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice. And just the, again, it's, it's a small model, so. The ability of your opponent to be able to screen this model out is very, very tough. Yeah. And the threat of this model as well, then you could just have it sat there waiting for the opportune moment for your, your opponent to uh, mess up uh, and then you get to deep strike it in and then charge into a unit, which is which is great. And again, at some point your opponent will even forget all the mental fatigue of having to keep on top of, you know, making sure things are spread out so this thing can't do its job. Uh, uh, that's, I like that trickery. Yeah, me too. I think it's really, really good. Um, sort of uh, going in Karn mode right now with yeah. the uh, with the Solitaire, which is really cool. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then the final one is Thirsting Darkness. Each time this model advances, do not make an advance roll. Instead, 
Until the end of the phase, add six to the move characteristic of that model. Uh, each time this model piles in or consolidates, this, move, this model can move an additional three inches. So for me, this one just pips the spectral despair because it just means that I am floating around uh, everywhere at 18 inch move. Yeah, because in, you got to remember if you're getting out of a Star Weaver too, uh, extra movement there. That's just bananas movement because you got the flip belt, so you're ignoring friggin' everything. Um, just absolutely crazy. That thirsting darkness is my is my go to for the solitaire as well. Like I'm all about just buffs to movement. Like anywhere I can get buffs to movement, that's what I'm going to go with. Which is why I like light um, for uh, for Harlequins. So nasty. Yeah, exactly. That's and then the additional three inches to pile in because so like, oh, just it adds to that ability to, to move and get yourself either in a position to then uh then consolidate into another unit if you end up destroying that unit yeah or getting yourself into a safer position afterwards that's that's just really nice yeah and doing that in the twilight uh sadath just in again in aggregate is a lot of movement manipulation and just getting your claws deeper into your opponent more disruption more battle you know more uh, board control huge yeah unfortunately the solitaire doesn't have the sadath keyword so it doesn't gain the benefits of the sadath yeah i was talking more about just stacking that on top of uh, like your players sort of creeping in a little deeper into uh, your yeah, opponent's yeah, into your opponent's side of the board yeah i used to play uh an army with the custodies where I used to do lots of like heroic interventions, shenanigans and stuff and this sort of appeals to a similar sort of side of that. There's just some cool stuff that you can play around with that. Yeah, Solitaire is a monster and uh, Thirsting Darkness yeah. is the one for me. Yeah, agreed. And then on to the Shadowseer. So three here, you've got Agents of Pandemonium, Gloom Spider and the Mirror Architect. So, Agent of Pandemonium, while an enemy unit is within six of this model, subtract one from the attack, attack characteristic of models in that unit. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I, I really like that, especially if you have a Shadow Seer sort of like deep in the heart of things, maybe more of a smiting type um, Shadow Seer with shards of light and stuff like that. Um, just kicking out that aura is really nice. Yeah, and it doesn't say there to a minimum of anything either. So, I'm not sure there's something in the main rulebook to take that down to uh, to stop you taking it down to to zero. So if you go into a unit and they have attacks one, they are attack zero at that point, so they cannot do anything to you. Yeah, and if you have the shadow stone for the increased buff to the aura of that, that's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Um, but I think it's overshadowed by some other ones. Oh, so yeah. Gloom Spider in your command phase, select one enemy unit within 12 inches of this model. Uh, until the start of your next command phase, enemy models in that unit cannot benefit from an, an enemy unit's aura ability. So <laughs> that's <is> so good. <laughs> yeah. So, so so much of Warhammer at the minute is is like building around buffs and auras of your characters and stuff. Mm -hmm. So to go in there with this and just go, ah, you're not using that. Sorry, mate. That's that's pretty. That's pretty gnarly. Yeah, I mean, talk, like disruption, like you can't you can't put enough emphasis on it. Like the Harlequins are the masters of disruption, and their abilities are all so unique. And this is super 
unique. I mean, you could completely... Oh, man, you know what I'm thinking about is uh, against Tyranids. Uh, your Synapse, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shadows in the Warp, what? No, forget that. The Gloom Spider is... Uh, has something else to say about that is really good yeah that's really good against these guys cool uh and the one for me though um <laughs> i don't know this is a bit average uh mirror architect <laughs> aura will friendly say that the unit is within six of this model uh each time an enemy unit uh is selected to shoot when measuring the range to any models in this save off unit the model in that Sailor unit is considered to be an additional six inches away from the shooting model. Huge, huge. I used to love, so they used to have this on Venoms, and I used to love this, just counting as being six inches further away. It just messes with people's feng shui on the battlefield and how they're, they're planning things out, and I just really, really enjoy it. Yeah, all of a sudden they're getting out that, uh, you know, the measuring tape. They're like, wait, what? You know, really, really sort of force your opponent into making a lot of decisions. And it just, it's just an, an, another sort of frustration that you have to throw at them, <laughs> which is that that's like the Harlequins thing, man. They're a troll job army, and this is the troll job of all troll jobs. It really is. I, I really like this one. Um, yeah. So for, for me, uh, that's my go to for, uh, for the Shadows here. Yeah, I love this because it's active right from word go. And I know everyone's doing this with Void Weavers right now. I like it for bikes um, because I need those bikes to make really, really important charges. And um, and I need their haywire. So yeah. I, I love this. Mirror, Mirror Architect is the one right now. Hopefully it survives the balanced data slate. <laughs> hey, yep. Uh, shall we have a, a little chat about relics? Yeah. Okay, so going on to Harlequin relics. So you've got the, the three relics that come out in the Sadath, but then you've got an additional six that you can choose from. Um, you've got the story sword, and there will be stories told about this one. Uh, it's a Harlequin's model with an Eldari power sword only. Uh, this relic replaces the Eldari power sword and has the following profile. <laughs> story sword, essentially... Uh, plus two strength, minus two, two damage. And the ability for this one is each time an attack is made with this weapon, that attack automatically hits the target. So brutal, dude. So brutal. <laughs> um, right. Especially with the uh, plus one attack, Sadath. Like, oh my god, it's so good. Yeah, and, and, and like, I, I like to factor this in with the, um, the strength five anyway, but you can... Uh, add it into the um, ability to wound on a two, so you're hitting automatically and then just wounding on a two. That's what we call efficiency, as Lawrence would say. <laughs> that's mathematics. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anytime you don't have to roll dice, uh, it's good. Anytime <laughs> you have to roll a two plus is even better. Okay, so uh, that's really good. The next one is the suit of hidden knives, uh, slightly different to what it used to be. Harlequin model only. At the end of the fight phase, the bearer can make three additional attacks. Uh, when resolving these attacks, each time a hit is scored, the target suffers one mortal wound and the attack sequence ends. It's really good. It's really solid. Uh, if you need to chip in some mortal wounds and just make sure something dies, um, it's good, especially if you're going up against a lot of uh, invulnerable saves. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's again, it's that, that aggregation of mortal wounds that we'll, we'll see through the book. So the next one is Crescendo. Uh, Harlequin's model with a shuriken pistol only. This relic replaces shuriken pistol and has the follow profile. Uh, 12-inch reins, pistol 6, strength 4, minus 3, 2 damage. It's actually and pretty good. Shuriken, yeah. So I, I normally uh, hate these pistol things they put in there because nobody ever does this. But I actually quite fancy giving this one a go at some point. Yeah, yeah. I wish you could give like a two relics to a guy because I would take that every time. <laughs> if you could yeah. do pistol and sword, it'd be really sweet. It's actually really, really good. It is because um, yeah, it's it's six power sword attacks essentially. Yeah, because it's strength four minus three two damage at range twelve, so you don't have to get anywhere near anybody, and you're putting uh, six power sword attacks into somebody. Yeah. It's not even power sword; it's uh, it's damage two power sword. Yeah, so, it's, uh, it's the damage too that does it. Yeah, and then Shuriken on top of that. So when you're rolling six to wound, uh, that goes to minus five AP. Yikes! So it basically is ignoring light cover too. So really yeah. good. Cool. Uh, on to the next one, which is probably one of my favorite ones, is Segrax Rose. Uh, Harlequin's model with Harlequin's kiss only. Uh, this relic replaces Harlequin's kiss and has the following ability. Sorry, following profile. It's uh, plus two strength, minus two, and three damage. Each time a attack is made with this weapon, you can re-roll the wound roll, uh, and the bearer has the Harlequin's kiss keyword. It's nasty. Absolutely nasty, because you can play around with this with the stratagem on top of it, which is why they have that last line there. Um, yeah. Really good. Man, it's so difficult to choose between... The Storied Sword, Kegarok's Rose, and um, the Twilight Fang. I mean, you're like you really have to drill down into what exactly you're trying to do with uh, your characters when choosing these upgrades because there are significant differences, but they are very very subtle. Yeah, so I like this with the Dark because it then puts that up to AP minus three. Yeah, um, and then if you couple it with oh, forgetting the name of it, but the pivotal roll that allows you to do um, ignore invulnerable saves on a 5 plus yeah then that becomes really nice because it doesn't say failed uh, wound rolls it just says uh, you can re-roll the wound rolls yeah so if you really wanted to try and get through something with an invulnerable save um, you can re-roll those rolls there and uh, it just gives you a bit more chance of actually getting um, those that damage through yeah, you could sort of fish for those five pluses, and you could go for um, murderous entrance, and then all of a sudden you damage four, which is ludicrous. And, and you're ignoring yeah. invulnerable saves. So all you need is a few to sneak through. You pop war dancers, fight twice. There's a lot of play there. Yeah, so for me, that with the Queen of Shards in the dark is a really nice combo. Yeah. Uh, next one, Star Miss Raymond, Harkins Mod Loaning. Each time an attack is made against this bearer, uh, the attack's hit roll and wound roll cannot be re-rolled. That's nice. Uh, once per battle in your command phase, you can declare that the bearer will mimic Elios. If you do so, until the start of your next command phase, the bearer has a 3-plus invul. That's great. 3-plus invuls are super hard to get, and uh, I will absolutely take it. Yep. Uh, for me, it's not the go-to, but it is a a really good uh, relic in a group of good relics. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the final one is the, the Laughing God's Eye. Uh, Harkin's model only. The bearer has the following ability, the Laughing God's Eye aura. Uh, while a friendly Harlequin's unit is within six of this model, each time a model in that unit loses a wound, as a result of mortal wound, roll d6. On a five plus, that wound is not lost. Yeah, not. I don't think anybody's really going to waste their relics on this one, unless you're playing in a big sort of like Grey Knight, Thousand Suns meta or something like that. Um, like super situational, and I wouldn't waste my relic on that one. Yeah, so I, I, I go to I go back and forth on this one because the Harlequin's real uh, Achilles heel is things that ignore mortal, uh, ignore their invulnerable saves. Yeah. Um, so it, up against the right army, this would be uh, a really good thing to have. Uh, but when I look at the other relics available and stuff, then it's probably not my go-to for my playstyle. But in a defensive, in a defensive army, that's probably a good one to have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I guess you're doing light or something like that. You're trying to play a little bit more defensively. Um, it could yeah. be clutch, but uh, a little bit too niche for me. Yeah, I, I think for people who are doing that carousel of um, Void Weavers at the moment, that's probably something they're a fan of, and hopefully that sort of thing's going to be going away soon anyway. So. Yeah, no, nobody wants that. I don't even think Harlequin players want that. So. No, we don't. Uh, cool. So, yeah, that's the relics. I think there's a, a really nice suite of relics there. Uh, for me, the Segrax Rose is probably the one I'm going to go to most. I'm really looking forward just for, for shits and giggles of giving the crescendo a go of having that pistol and just, uh, yeah, see how it works out. Yeah, why not? It's actually really, really good. Um, it, again, if you need like a little bit more volume of attacks. I mean, I, I always feel like the Harlequin's pistols are really undersold, actually. Uh, I think like fusion pistols for dealing with characters and all that kind of stuff are amazing. Um, so it just, again, it's a little bit more... It's just another curveball you can throw at your opponent. And it's like, wait, six shots, damage two, what? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, they got a lot. Absolutely, cool. Uh, so that's those. Should we have a look at the, the warlord traits? Yeah, let's do it. So we get uh, the warlord traits that come with the say that. So you get three there, and then we get an additional three here. Um, so the first one is favor of Kegrak or Segrak. I'm never sure how to say that. I change my mind every time. <laughs> uh, once per turn, <laughs> you can make a hit roll, wound roll, or save roll uh, with this. Um, sorry, once per turn, when you make a hit roll, wound roll, or saving throw for this warlord, you can make. Uh, after making the roll, you can treat uh, the result as a modified roll of a six instead. It's really good. So this is the one we talked about, the Death Jester, yeah. uh, and the Harvester, in the sense that you're hitting on two, so you roll your three dice, you're probably going to get at least one six there anyway, if you're rolling it, there's a good chance, and then if you've then got a miss, or a one that's a, a dice roll that's a, a two, three, four, five, then you can just turn that into a six. At that point, you are then getting um, three additional hits. It's nasty. It's really, really yeah. good. And there's also a, a stratagem that you can play on this for shuriken weapons, which produces another hit on top of that when you get a hit roll of a six. So you can turn those uh, hit roll, sorry, that, uh, that roll of a six into um, 
five hits. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the Death Jester, there's like a lot of exploits there. That, that might get broken up, but I don't know. Just adjust the points and who cares? Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's not the biggest deal in the world to me. But um, No. But yeah, I think that's a really good one. And it probably fits well with other characters as well if you don't want to, to use that with the Death Jester. Yeah, I like it with the Troop Master. Um, if you are you have that thing to just try and push through some mortal wounds um where fives ignore invulnerable saves against characters you could just be like boom six i'm just going to push through a couple of mortal wounds again when you start stacking all those stratagems through that's a lot of guaranteed offense um let's say somebody gets the drop on him he or his target sort of survives you can guarantee denying damage coming through with him just like nope he's making that one save um so especially if you're sending your troop master after sort of like support characters like librarians sorcerers stuff like that that might not have the most amount of attacks but they might have like damage to like staff or something like that um that will deny a lot of damage uh, especially if you're like on your last couple of wounds it can really swing things in your favor yeah exactly cool uh and then the next one is fractal storm each time uh, an attack is made against this warlord your opponent cannot re-roll uh, the hit roll the wound roll or the damage roll for that attack um this is actually pretty good um it's it could be like a little bit situational but that also means command re-rolls too i would imagine um so yeah. I like that. I like that. It takes away some of the certainty your opponent might have. And if just say you send your warlord and a troop out on like turn two, they wipe, uh, they sort of like wipe their targets and your opponent comes into you is putting like aura buffs or psychic powers to reroll hits or wounds is trying to take away your warlord. You know, it's not going to work. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think, Probably my favorite one is a foot in the future. Each time this warlord advances, do not make an advance roll. Instead, uh, until the end of that phase, add D3 plus 3 to the move characteristic for that warlord. So it makes your advance rolls a, a bit more uh, safe. And then each time uh, you make a charge roll with this warlord, you can add 6 to the result. Wow. So uh, with uh, Hero's Path, Deep Striking... You know, a troop master, a solitaire with all that, with all the buffs and bonuses to move and charge. I mean, you can absolutely wreck face um, with that and guaranteeing that offense is delivered. I mean, and you've said it so many times, it's a really hard unit to screen out. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. So for this as well, um, you still have to be within 12 inches to declare the charge but what that allows you is that uh so you roll your two dice on average statistically you're going to get seven mm-hmm. seven plus um six is 13 inches so on average you are always making your charge just gruesome <laughs> and, and the cool thing about it is as well because you have that extra distance there as well if you're you know closer than 12 inches or you know you've got that extra tune that you plop him on the other side then when it's made the charge and it's just so much maneuver that you can get and position is not, not just like right next to it but actually in a more favorable position for 
after you've murderated the unit. Yeah. I think there's like a lot of play and you got to look at some of this, not just like uh, going for like whatever your opponent, you know, just like whatever you can get. But if you, if you sort of like, like, no, I'm really going to work for it. Then all of a sudden you have tremendous advantage. You're not just going after, you know, whatever target you can sort of get your teeth into, but the targets you really, really want. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and there's also, as we're talking about warlord traits, there's actually a stratagem that allows you to uh, stack two uh, warlord traits on top of the uh, the troop master. Or, so good. Or, or on top of uh, a, a character. So, yeah. So with your, for me, with my troop master, uh, initially I was initially planning to have three, but now I've just gone for one super uh, troop master, where you're then sticking a relic on it, sticking a pivotal roll on it, and then sticking. Uh, two warlord traits on top of that as well so it's it's really quite good yeah absolutely amazing and just you know i think that one would probably be a default for me especially in the double stack um in terms of warlord traits and that is just i mean absolute missile of a character yeah <laughs> yeah really, really really good uh I, I really like it Hey guys, sadly we ran into a technical issue at the end of this recording and weren't able to complete the episode, but we will be back very soon with the conclusion of our Harlequins coverage, and then we'll be starting to get into our army list that we're excited about playing and have played. So stay tuned and we'll be back very soon.